She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out, a podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. We barely take time off ever here. People just don't. Like, I, it's so funny to me when people take a weekend somewhere and they call it a vacation. It's not a vacation, that's a weekend. Like, do you, know, do you even know what a vacation is? I want the, like, freedom and excitement of entrepreneurship and, like, kind of really following my heart's calling, but I also want the security and the safety and the predictability of a corporate job. Yeah. Does not. Like, that, that, I have to look at that and be like, you're, you're bullshitting yourself. And that I have wanted and that I just take for granted, like no noise pollution and nature right outside my door. And if we pretend there's no limits, we're constantly looking for more. Yeah. Like, or, you know, like how That's to get that other thing instead of kind of um... capitalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Far Out Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is the first episode of the new year for us. Yes. And we start by talking about our failed Christmas plans. And as we get into the episode, we reflect on uh, one of our intentions for this year as we're coming out of sabbatical, which is taking it slow. And this leads us into a conversation around limits Productivity. And productivity and grief. Yeah. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Hello, far out people, and happy new year. Hello, everyone. Happy new year. This is us officially recording in January. So, this is our official happy new year to you. Yeah. Yeah. And may, uh, uh, may 2023 be everything you need it to be. And maybe even a little bit more. Mm. Well, I, I feel compelled to maybe start this off where we left last episode and uh, maybe just touch on for a moment Christmas this year. Because we on the last episode, we reflected on the last five Christmas, New Year's times. And I ended by saying, like, I'm looking forward to ending this year and this sabbatical with being with family for Christmas. It'll be so nourishing and lovely. Yeah. Well, if you're a, if you're skilled at picking up tone of voice, this does not this did not happen. Uh, no. This did not happen at all. And instead, we had another shitty Christmas Eve. Actually, no, we had a great Christmas Eve after like five p.m. After four p.m., it, it turned it turned around, but uh, we got up at two a.m. Yeah. So first off, we live like an hour from the airport, and so I always forget that when it's like a seven o'clock flight. That means we're going to be getting up super early. It was a six o'clock flight. And yeah. I, I do remember that we were like, okay, we'll, we'll do it because it's way cheaper. And then uh, it's like we we agree on the moment of purchasing the tickets that future Julie Roxanne and Alistair will get up at an ungodly hour and like do that yeah. in the middle of the night. And then when it's about to happen, I'm like, what the fuck did we decide to do that? That was stupid. Yeah. So, but... The- <laughs> This is the this is the second year in a row where where Chris traveling around Christmas has just been crazy and and we had really um, bad weather come in like right before Christmas Eve. I know a lot of people on like listening to this podcast are like, yeah, you and like yeah, a and thousand, we didn't even have a very bad. Yeah, we were. It's just we ended up having this like icy rain, which I didn't know existed, and that was actually really beautiful. But also incredibly deadly and dangerous, and canceled. It, yeah, I mean, so many it was flights. like the 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 roads were like ice rinks. There yeah. was just a solid sheet of ice on the roads. I've never seen that before. No, there was there was ice on the trees and on like it. it for me, if it's that cold, if it rains, it snows. But it 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 didn't. It was just like raining and then turning to ice as soon as it hit the the ground or anything on yeah. the yeah. You know, vertical. So all the horrible. flights the day before uh, got canceled, and we thought we might luck out um, because it was supposed to warm up a little through the night. And so we're kind of keeping tabs on the road. And 
And the flight, too. The flight was, like, usually with a 6 a.m. flight, if they're going to cancel it, they're canceling it the day before. Yeah. Because they know yeah. that, like, you know. And we have a, a Subaru, so we have all-wheel drive. Um, and we got up at 2 in the morning and checked the roads. And sure enough, at least the, we thought the road by us was going to be the worst because we're pretty far out. Uh, and that road had defrosted. Uh, you could actually feel the road. It wasn't just ice. So we're like... Right, and we checked our flight, and it was good. So we're like, great, we lucked out. Man, thank God we didn't do it yesterday. <laughs> and uh, got ready. We drove to the airport, which was pretty harrowing because as we got closer, um, we were in the forest, um, and as we got closer, it was more exposed, and there was a lot of ice yeah. uh, and some snow, but mainly a lot of ice. But we we made it to the airport. We parked in the ex- like uh, the extended parking the parking lot was just a sheet of ice. Yeah, all the cars and everything that yeah. were there were just ice. Got to the airport, checked in, everything's still good. Yeah. We're like, wow, we're so lucky. And then we're in line at the TSA. It's an hour before the flight departs. Bags checked, in line. We go by the flight, like the, the flight status screen, and it's been canceled. And then... We have to get through TSA and then wait in a even longer line to uh, talk to customer service and be told there's nothing they can do and get a refund. Yeah. And then go pick up our bags, walk out, wait for the uh, the bus to take us back out and uh, drive back home. And I was surprised how many cars we saw abandoned on the side of the road once it was daylight out. It was almost like I didn't realize how bad it was. Yeah. I mean, because some people did decide or or had to i don't know but did drive out on like that 23rd of december which was like the worst the the worst of the ice rink road and like many cars turned over in like complete opposite of the road too like it was very it was very weird and uh when we got home, it was around like eleven thirty. we briefly considered driving down because because we were heartbroken like the 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 and the energy at the airport was just so sad cuz like you know p- a lot of people were in the same situation than us you don't fly on the 24th of december unless most of the time like most of the people were just going down to be with family and yeah so we made it back home and it was we were just like there's no way there's no way we can we can do a 12 hour drive today there's no way like your rash like was we slept 3 hours your rash was starting to act up my body was so stiff i could barely yeah. move i was like no there's no way we can do it so we threw in the towel and went to bed at like uh, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And we took a three-hour nap, and then we were lucky enough to be able to go and do Christmas Eve dinner with our neighbors, and it was actually really sweet and brought joy to my heart. Not what we expected, but it was fun. And I think um, the decision, you know, I've, I've made that drive down down to see my parents, so it's it's from near Portland down to San Jose. It's like... 10 hours straight, but it takes about 12 hours. Yeah, with, you know, with breaks, breaks and, and everything. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it there it, it was a turning point not to try to do that, mm-hmm. which has been actually a part of a bigger kind of realization in 2022, I think, which is like, we have limits. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're in our 30s now, and um, let's not make things extraordinarily difficult for ourselves and I actually wanted to kind of you know I I think on this episode talk a little bit about where we're going in the new year Mm -hmm. um and also we're coming out of our two two month sabbatical that we've been taking where Mm -hmm. we've been we kind of put all the work we could on hold yeah and really just tried to relax and um take care of ourselves because we'd kind of burned ourselves out last year and I think part of that was because, um, at least I know for me, that a part of that, and this has been going on for years, has been um, just believing I didn't have limits, believing I could I, I could transcend all limits. Mm. And I think that um, message that no, I can't was like really, uh, really came home last year mm. uh, as I started to hit all the limits, and um, it was it was really humbling. So for, I think one of the things this year is uh, I'm going to take it slow. 
Yeah. It's still hard, honestly. Like, a part of me just wants to believe that we, like, stopped pretty much everything we could in the sabbatical and that, like, today is, like, Monday, first day after sabbatical, and I'm just going to go back at the same speed that I used to go. And I noticed the desire to do that. I noticed, like, the patterns of, like, I'm going to do all the things and and I'm going to get up early and I'm going to, you know... Honestly, it's been really interesting during the sabbatical because even though we stopped everything we could stop, and that meant like we stopped a fair amount of things, with how short the days were, and with like likewise, and with how much we were sleeping, I still felt like, I mean, we rested hardcore, but I was like, man, there's still a lot of stuff to do, like the shopping and tending to the house and making and feeding ourselves and all of that. Like, there's still. There's still a lot to do, so it's kind of interesting that you remind remind me of this like limit thing because I think I also want to be limitless and uh, and like realizing like there is that we have limits and I think a lot of us in the modern world are taught to just go past our limits like we're just it's like work 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 work. I think it's the I think it's the ethos, right? I mean, if you just if you look on a very macro level as a society. We are very much in kind of the cult of progress, mm-hmm. and we don't seem to be recognizing any of the limits of this earth. Mm-hmm. We are just pushing forward as if there are no limits. Yeah. And I think that goes down to the individual level, too. We're in a society that really uh, does not care for limits. Yeah. Um, and I think I've been reckoning with that myself, like even just um, surrendering to the limits of the day. When we were on sabbatical, when we were, when we were waking up very late and fairly tired and maybe I could do one thing, right. Other than like kind of taking care of myself, doing the, doing the self-care things that I need to do right now. And, and then just surrendering to the fact that, you know, it's like, it's dinner time yeah, and it's time to like get into the, the dinner mode because I, I can, I've been noticing all sorts of ways, big and small that um, I try to, I, I try to pretend like I don't have limits, mm-hmm. and like like as e- as small as like I won't eat, I'll, or like I won't follow a routine. I'll just kind of, I'll just I'll just kind of keep doing my thing until I run out of gas, yeah. basically. And like, or maybe if you're listening, you might identify with this one, which is you love the night and you stay up late into the night. Because there, there's a sense of no limits, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and you can kind of go on until, you know, there, there's that, that feeling that, that you aren't limited. Yeah. Then, um, I love that too. It's hard. It's hard to, yeah. And, and, but then at the same time, like, <laughs> I go to bed past 11 these days and it's just, it's, it, it's not really pleasant, honestly, to, to then, because then the quality of my sleep is different and all of that. So, it's kind of a in in like Jungian psychology. This is partly the tension between the puer uh, or the puella, which mm-hmm. is like the kind of young prince or young princess, mm-hmm. which uh, is ascending and 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 doesn't want any limits and and um, is fairly naive mm-hmm. and stuff, which is an aspect of our youth. Yeah. Uh, and and Saturn, which is the god of limits mm-hmm. and. Uh, and kind of the god of of restraint and 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 these things and and melancholy. I was just reading uh, right before we were doing this podcast. I just opened up my phone. I was reading a newsletter, and uh, it it was ju- it was about this. It was it was um it was a summary on uh, on Oliver Berkman's new book around productivity and like how we're so we're so obsessed with being productive. It was just talking about the idea of. 4,000 weeks. Most of us are going to have on average 4,000 weeks in our life, mm. which like, I don't know about you, but when it first hits me, it's like, oh, that's painful. Yeah. 4,000 is not a very big number and amounts to about being 80 years old. So, all right, maybe you're going to be a hundred and then you got 5,000 weeks. Same thing though. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be, that's, that's, that's limited. And I can feel the ways I'm, I'm, I, I, um, averse to, to, to really letting that sink in because it's painful. But the point of this article is like, it's also helpful because maybe instead of doing the Pomodoro technique or inbox zero or whatever, 
whatever your productivity hacks are, right? Or focusing on that, like maybe you should be asking like, what, what the fuck actually matters? Like it does yeah. any, does being more productive matter? What's it getting you? Yeah. And instead of being more productive, maybe it's about never putting that thing on your to-do list. Mm. I don't know. It, we, we seem to be swept up in uh, me too, in, yeah. in being productive. And cause it, because I think it is like this proxy like being productive is like a way we can uh, we can we can not have to acquiesce to limits. Yeah. If we're productive, we can we can kind of blow through those perceived limits. All and we need to do is just find a, a way to get more done in less time. I feel like um, productivity for me is like is like a great substitute drug for uh, for what I think we're really wired to explore during our lifetime which is like meaningful contribution you know it's like i'm i noticed the ways it, it was really hard to be on sabbatical in some ways like we especially we, in the beginning oh, man yeah and and there's like a there's like 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 near the end for me there was also like just a, a, a mopiness or just like what the fuck am i doing like what I feel so uninterested, but at the same time, like I want to, I I want to do things, but I don't know what to do, and just like, I don't know. It was it was because it was becoming a little stir crazy, uh, and and like cabin fever and all of that. And uh, there were a couple of days where, like, I woke up early in the morning, or earlier. I had an alarm for like earlier so that I could actually get my day started because I had you know a commitment or whatever. And man, the waking up and like the rush of cortisol that goes with it of like oh no my alarm or whatever like I had not felt that in a long time and it gives me a sense of like false productivity or like or like oh yeah I'm gonna do things today and you know but also like a false sense of importance yes 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 and I think that that's that's the difference I've been like trying to contemplate like because I feel like what we're something we're shifting or at least I am, is that I feel like for the last few years, my focus has been primarily on work. And I would like my focus to be primarily on life now. And that work supports life. And that, you know, like that life is, 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 the, is the bigger focus and like vitality and, and meaningful contribution and connection. But not so that I can get a, this sense of importance or not so that I can, you know. Drive away the uh, the, the meaninglessness. Because I think that's the other part of, like, a lot of times why why um, we can become so focused or obsessed with productivity, or at least I, I know from my experience, it's like if I stay focused on that, I can avoid the oftentimes the void of meaninglessness that's like right underneath that. Yeah, yeah. I think the reason I'm making these connections too is because like we've, I've been, and I think we've been too, like thinking a lot about grief recently. Like it's been, it's been coming up for me just realizing like how much grief there is about living here and being so far away from, from my native land and my language and my family and my culture and I've realized that, like, I don't know if it was, like, conscious or unconscious or if it just happened that way. I don't really care. But it just feels like I, the amount of work and, and focus on productivity and, like, always moving forward and progress was a great way for me not to actually tend to that grief. And it just, like, it was right there under the surface. And I think that it was my desire to avoid feeling that grief that also like pushed me to just like keep on going and keep on like chugging along and progress and all that. And stopping has been a big like awakening to that grief. And it's, it's actually really painful. And, but it's also like, if I don't actually look at this and tend to this, then I can't contribute to life for real. I think you and I have both been um, tapping into grief for me it really started for me it cracked open i 
all year, or I would say the first six months of the year, I, I had felt like there was this deep sadness that I, I just couldn't even touch. I knew it was there, but it felt like there was um, almost like a sheet of like glacial ice between me and, and, and it. And mm. I could look down and I saw it down there, mm. but I couldn't couldn't actually feel it. And it started to crack open on the Yosemite trips this year when I realized we weren't going to do them next year. Um, and that's been a major part of my life for the last few years. And it's been a huge dream of mine that I, that, um, with your help and with, with Kelly and Lou's help and, and the help of everyone who came, um, I was able to realize, I think it's been one of the bigger dreams of my adult life to realize that particular trip. Mm-hmm. And, and now for, at least for now, I've had to realize that it's time to to let it go mm-hmm. in its current form and and I I started to finally feel that on one of the, on a couple of the trips in July. It was yeah, it was it was one of the trips in particular and and then I went to this uh men's rite of passage with Illumin in in October and that really opened it up and since I I've, I've been a I I tend to experience grief as something that visits um, I do find there's an active aspect in it where, like, when it's there, when it's, like, on, on the threshold, I do actually sometimes have to go out and meet it. And, you know, we've been exploring the difference between grief, and I think, you know, this might this might be a masculine-feminine thing, too. Uh, at least on my side, I tend to feel that, um, which is that men have a hard time accessing grief mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. We just have a hard time getting there. It's really hard. For women, at least for for you, it seems like you would probably say something like, I have a hard time not being overwhelmed by grief. Yeah. It's around all the time. Yeah. And I think I think that my it's almost like my response to because we live in a culture that is so grief averse and and doesn't even fucking understand. It's not just grief averse, right? It's loss averse. Well, yeah, it's it's death averse. It's like all of those. You just have to look at the way we deal with dying in our in our uh, which is we don't we don't deal with it. We try to push it away. Yeah. And and, um, to to realize like that's also how we deal with grief. Yeah. 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 And I think that my my way of like protecting myself from being overwhelmed has has been to just like keep going at all costs and don't really look back which is funny because i also feel like in some ways i i do look back like i it it i don't know it's only re- it's only this year i just i think that like i had not really realized that at some point i was going to have to grieve being an expat and like loss of culture and loss of family, loss of language, loss of place. I, I didn't even really recognize that it was an appropriate kind of grief. I think if you had asked me recently, I would have told you like, well, I think that like the only true valid grief is if you actually have someone in, that dies, you know, like I didn't recognize all the different layers of grief. But the reason I brought this up is like to correlate it with taking it slow and like our obsession with productivity is that I think I've started reading this book that was recommended to me by a wonderful sister of mine who has spent a lot of time thinking and, and feeling and tending to grief. And the book is called The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Francis Weller. And I've only just started it, but already I can feel that this person is just like speaking something incredibly important and true. And, you know, he talks about the fact that like that grief has purpose, that it's not just like that it that it is part of the cycle of life in 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 a grander sense. And that um, like grief opens us up so that then we can actually experience life more fully and more intentionally I guess and I think that I wonder if our western obsession with productivity is also correlated with how unwilling we are to tend to our collective grief yeah and it's just like this uh I'm gonna stay in the hamster wheel not gonna look down well if you do uh, that you can like for if you keep running for a while right like you can keep it at bay or keep it uh, until sooner or later it's going to engulf you yeah or and and what I feel like happened for me this year is until like you can't run anymore or you've run yourself down mm-hmm. and then things break down. Yeah. And then it's like boof. And I think I think that there's also something collectively that has happened in the last two years of some sort of weird like awakening and like 
collective pain and I think it a lot of people have burnt out burnt out in the last two years and I think that you can just like kind of dumb it down to well the pandemic da, 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 da. but I think that there's actually like an energetical thing that's happening collectively that's way bigger than that that we don't really understand and I think that that experience that you're talking about of like you can kind of keep going until the grief at some point catches up with you and then you can no longer run and you have to tend to it. I think that collectively this is this is also where we're at. I feel like there's a reverse too. It's like if you're not if you're not in touch with your grief or you can't connect to it, it becomes much easier to continue doing trivial sh- like yeah. like there's no depth. Yeah. to or there there's a lack of depth to what depth to what you're doing yeah. and it can be easy like I I mean I guess in extreme cases if there's no grief I mean, you can become a monster, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're not really in touch with any yeah. any of that, the grief definitely slows you down. And that probably is part of the reason why we're terrified of it. I, I actually also, you know, there's a corollary here, which is kind of a funny one to make, but like in, in ayahuasca ceremonies, particularly people who are new to coming to ayahuasca, one of the things they get really scared about, and this is true for combo too, but even more so with ayahuasca, I think, is like they get scared about purging, about vomiting, mm-hmm. right? Like they're like, oh, wow, that sounds terrible. Like I'm going to drink a heavy psychedelic like, and I'm going to have to vom- – like, and, and a lot of people will like resist that. Yeah. And you can to some degree. Mm-hmm. You, like you, you could fight it like as if ayahuasca lets you. Yeah. Um, and you might go 10, even maybe 20 ceremonies and manage not to do it. But at some point you stick with it like – uh, you're you're gonna have to face that, and here's the corollary, which is that one of the things I think that's very scary for people about purging in a medicine ceremony of any type is that this is very like you lose control, mm-hmm. right? And you're also still like highly conscious and aware, and you're you're like very sensitive. This is not like you're super drunk and you hardly remember the purge mm-hmm, the next mm-hmm, day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of forget it or whatever. But it's scary to to lose control. Like the, the the purge is its own kind of thing, and it and it tends to come at its own time, and and for, for that means us letting go of of control. Well, grief's a lot like that too. Like, uh, what's scary about grief is like I lose control. Mm-hmm. Like, it visits me, and it happens to me. It's not something I can really control, and that's frightening. Or at least it it, it can be. I my experience the the last half of this year though is that it's been such an absolute relief when it comes Mm -hmm. um and it's come alone it's come with you it's come in groups i'm part of that where we're sharing circles and things Mm -hmm. and every time it's like it's scary to have it come and it's such a relief it's such a it's like oh thank god it's actually happening yeah it's like finally here yeah it's funny what you said about the purging because I think that like everyone comes into ayahuasca ceremonies with a different attitude about it and remembering my attitude about it is like actually kind of funny with like where I find myself now my attitude about purging was like I from stories that you had told me and also just like I don't know like a I thought this was how it worked I showed up and I was like okay I'm gonna drink this thing and then I'm going to purge and then I'm going to be in visions and it's going to be cool. Like there's not going to be like there's only one purge and it's at the beginning and then you get it out of the way and then you get the good thing. And like that is totally my 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 relationship with sadness and like and grief. It's like there's a part of me that thinks that you can just grieve and it's finite. And like conceptually, I feel like I I hear people say like, oh no, just grief continues with you. It just like kind of morphs and changes and stuff. But I I feel like a lot of people know that conceptually, but the actual experience of like continuing to tend, living with our grief and knowing that it's there, because as soon as you love you, there's grief, right? on the other side like it's the other side of the coin and um because everything you love you're going like you're going to lose yeah yeah it's one of the it's it's one of the deals of loving yeah yeah and it's uh i don't know it's 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 interesting that we wanted to talk mostly about taking it slow but i feel like this this like obsession with productivity is also just a way 
to avoid and to just like keep positive and like keep keep going and like build 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 at all costs instead yeah. of just like recognize that all the shit we're building that doesn't include our grief and our pain and our sorrow and our like collective experience of these things is going to crumble like the the only way to build something that is actually going to be meaningful and lasting and and true and supportive to life and and life with a capital L like humans and 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 birds and trees and snakes and all of those peeps that we you know the more than human world it's going to have to happen with our grief otherwise we're going to i don't know we're going into the wall i think in some ways we we i mean personally and collectively i can i can see all the ways that that that's happening yeah i think um yeah going back to the taking taking it slow i think that's one of it's going to be one of the challenges for me because i'm I'm a very driven person and I'm fairly future oriented and it's challenging for me for me to stop and slow down. You know, this isn't the first time I have and I, I think this is part of the pattern of burnout, right? Is that we don't know how to stop and slow down or take care of ourselves and then and then we burn out and then it's even it's even more extreme and stuff. But like creating space for these things to come up more regularly to stay mm -hmm. in touch with them. And I think it's going to be a challenge this year to, to continue to take it slow. It's like, we're going to kind of get back on the horse and get back to work, but also do it in a, in a slower way. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any, like that, that's kind of, you know, as I think about the new year this, this year, like, yeah, there's, there's projects and things I'm going to aim at, but I'm, I'm, I'm really going to try. My main goal is to like, Maybe just Cruise. quietly work, yeah. and, or like not not just work, but like quiet, like quietly do the work, and also kind of slow down and take care of myself, and a, a more even even keel year. I think mm -hmm. I don't I don't have any big goals this year. I think it's more I have a sense of direction and and the things I'm working toward that feel like long term areas, and I think it's about just continuing to slowly build the foundations for that and and move toward that but not not in a not in this like heroic sense where i need to massively achieve this year yeah to get to get there i think it's gonna be a slower and a little bit more discipline yeah um and a, and a slow like a, a more steady pace it's funny you were just saying like you know creating space for these things to come up And then when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's called a vacation. Or like at least, you know, like taking breaks throughout the year. And then I realized that like the the normal French job is like five weeks of paid vacation a year. And schools, there's two weeks of vacation every six weeks of school. And I like that's part of my like trying to remember where I'm from and like kind of re reconnecting with my roots and stuff. It's like we barely take time off ever here. People just don't like I, it's so funny to me when people take a weekend somewhere and they call it a vacation. It's like, that's not a vacation. That's a weekend. Like, do you know, do you even know what a vacation is? It's so And I'm 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 guilty of that too. I mean, I think that there's a reason why I live out here is because I resonate like there's a lot of me that resonates with some of the things happening out here. But it's it's just funny to me to realize like culturally how weird it is that like people never stop. You don't stop in the U.S. You 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 start school and then you don't stop until you're retired. That's pretty much the norm. And then you have four days off at at thanksgiving and like a weekend here and there and maybe you take a week off in the summer but it's it's kind of a i don't know this is not I'm, i'm not sure what i'm trying to do here i'm not really like preaching or anything but like i'm almost like waking up to how i forgot that other places do it differently and that i kind of have assumed that like well just working nonstop is 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 the only way when it's absolutely not the only way yeah i don't know it's 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 interesting It's interesting too because like this is just coming up because 
how afraid we are of being offline for a couple of weeks if we're if we're like working if it's no longer the sabbatical like just that like if we take time off to go visit family or whatever then it's like those are weeks that we are not working and it's it's i don't know this is just interesting to to me for, for me to to watch the ways i've forgotten how to stop until my body just like makes me completely not function anymore and then i have to take two months off i i think it does come with like taking a hard look at things and and asking and this is also why it can be difficult it's like well what's worth it right like and i've noticed a way you know we've been talking about this for me which is that i have this like internal checklist of how to explain this there's this internal checklist that's not accurate to the lifestyle we live, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think I'm fairly committed to there. there's certain values and there's a certain vision for my life, but also f- for serving life mm-hmm. that I'm moving toward and embodying. And uh, I've had to realize that, like, yeah, that that very much part of that is not going to be mat- like lucrative wealth mm-hmm. like or at least unlikely right like maybe it happens but um it's something i have to let go go of yeah. which which you know i studied finance i went into the business world is very much motivated by profit mm-hmm. and and i and talking with you i've realized there's kind of like a whole checklist of things from like you know how how i was raised and how i saw others raised and how my peers are of like it's like a benchmark or a- yeah things that like I feel like I have to do mm-hmm. you know for for me or for my children mm-hmm. and I've been realizing that I've been like there's just been this unconscious tension between the life I'm living which is is not is not it can't do that mm-hmm. and this list of things like well kid and private high school or you know paying for their college education like maybe but like or living in this kind of neighborhood or whatever. Um, And realizing like that's a package that you've already kind of decided you don't want, but you're still living by this idea that you, you need to be able to afford those things. Mm -hmm. And so there's this unconscious tension between the life I'm living and this, like this kind of checklist of things that I feel like I, I need to be able to get and afford that I hadn't realized um, was going on. Yeah. It's forced me to start, I guess, really trying to come to terms with the fact like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to afford at, at the rate we're going and at with the lifestyle we're aiming for. I'm not going to be able to afford to give my child the childhood my dad gave me. Mm-hmm. There, maybe it ends up happening, but it's, it's not likely. And I think there's just something like psychologically really, constricting that happens when that's the goal right it's like it's like trying to ride two horses at once it's like i'm gonna have the kind of hippie in the woods lifestyle but i'm also going to be able to offer the suburban and like you know it's it's, another form of not being able to accept limits yeah right like yeah and it's really if you if like if i think about it because i have it too i have my versions of that too because it's like oh man like actually accepting the lifestyle that we're choosing is not going to look like how I was raised either. And to some degree, I'm like, that's cool. Like, I don't, I'm part of what I'm doing is there's a lot of things that I liked about my childhood. And there's a lot of things that I'm trying to do differently than my parents did. And that does, that's not a comment on who they are as people. That's just like, that's how, I don't know that that's that's my prerogative as an adult is like trying to, you know, discern like what was good. What what how do I want to do this? And and I think that there's also um, a certain lack of actual presence with the life that I'm choosing. And it's like a very like dissociative experience for me to like live in this gorgeous location and have the kind of like abundance of time and this like wealth of of meaning and all of that in our life and then also be like yeah but i also want a house right next to costco with a like corner bathtub oh god we don't have the convenience and we can't fly around the country uh yeah and and it's it's i think we can probably all 
identify some ways we do this, but it's, 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 uh, I've noticed, and it's like, if I think about it, it's like, man, if I were to really just, um, accept the terms of the life that I'm living and that I want to live, it would be such a relief. I wouldn't have to even worry that I'm not achieving those other things, but they're programmed fairly deep. And, uh, I don't realize that I'm carrying that with me. I think that's some of the work that I'm realizing that I still need to do, which is like really, it's like, okay, you want to live this way. Oh, and you want like the security mm-hmm. that that offers. Right. And it's like, you want the, you, you, we want, I, I want the, I want the like freedom and excitement of entrepreneurship and like kind of really following my heart's calling. But I also want the security and the safety and the predictability of a corporate job. Yeah. Does not like that. That I have to look at that and be like, you're, you're bullshitting yourself. Yeah. Like, because one, you're going to push yourself really hard. And two, you're, unless to, I mean, be chasing a carrot that you're never going to actually yeah, you're get. Gonna, and yeah, exactly. You're, you're going to be in a state of lack most of the time. Right. And like, yes, there are examples where you can accomplish like both, but those are often rare and far and few between and, and maybe not even, not even what we want. I think honestly, I'm just like, I'm just remaining open to how it's going to unfold, but just like trying to come back to how my life is right now and like the good and the, the, joy in my life right now and I think just just kind of reflecting on what you were saying about like accepting the lifestyle that I've chosen this is this has been part of the grief for me recently too because I think that there is an aspect of having to grieve the fact that I don't I don't know how to explain this I feel like I've made choices in the last few years that happened so fast and so fluidly and also so kind of spontaneously that I didn't realize I was making a choice. I was just, I'm following the thread. This is really nice. And like, I can always change my mind later. And I think that's true. I can always change my mind later. But this like, this attitude is was a way for me to not actually look at the fact that I was making big decisions for my life. Like, for instance, moving out here. Like, I've been thinking about like the context and the way that we made the decision to move here. And a part of me is like, I didn't realize I was making the decision to move here and all the consequences that would come with it. And I think it's like, I don't know, a part of me is realizing that like this phase of life, like really being in my 30s feels like recognizing all the choices have consequences and that as long as I'm not willing to accept the entire package of the choice that I made, then I'm living kind of a lie and I have to grieve all the things that I've said no to by saying yes to something else. So like saying yes to moving out here means I've said no to convenient time zone abilities to talk to my family or, you know, like calling my mom at night when I'm cooking. Never a possibility. She's asleep that there's, you know, or or like or visiting whenever I want or, you know, it's like, and so those those consequences are becoming apparent to me right now. And so apparent in, in how much I have wanted to pretend like they were not consequences that I could have it all. And I think this just goes back to this limit conversation, too, of like, we cannot have it all. Yeah. And there and, you know, there's that saying, like, limits are the 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 what is it? Handmaidens of creativity. Right? Mm, yeah. Um, which I, which I think is true. And I also was just thinking, you know, it's like, we can't really live the life we have if we don't grieve the lives we don't live. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's part of where I'm noticing some of my work is, is to be a little bit more fully present with the life we're choosing and, and not kind of secretly having a double agenda where I'm also trying to live a different life that, I at this point can't mm-hmm. um it's kind of really accepting accepting the limits yeah uh, instead of in my mind because it, it like in my mind I can pretend like I can have both or like there aren't limits to the choices I'm making but that's going to be extraordinarily painful when I come into contact with the limits and it's even worse if I think there shouldn't be limits there yeah. so yeah that's that's coming up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, this is interesting because I don't think I we had like connected all these pieces with like the limits the I hadn't at least and the grieving and the thing because I, I some of my experience this year has been really like 
kind of like I've talked about this on the podcast, but there's been a little bit of like crazy making. And I'm realizing right now that like to some degree, this having one life, but constantly seeing what is not in that life that could be in another life, which is something that I do all the time. It's and so easy to do in our culture too. Right? It's really easy. So like one of my co commitments this year is I want to return to like gratitude and just remember like the the beauty uh, that I that I do have instead of like the fact that I don't have a corner bathtub or you know or like or or a convenient in-house uh laundry situation. Like sometimes I'm like man, it would be so nice to have my own like laundry room and stuff, but But that's not here. And I have a lot of things that a lot of people want too. And just like, and that, and that I have wanted and that I just take for granted, like no noise pollution and nature right outside my door. And if we pretend there's no limits, we're constantly looking for more. Yeah. Like, or, you know, like how that's, to get that other thing instead of kind of um, capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, instead of just being with how, how things are. And there's a, I think there's a, there's a piece when we can really like just be with our situation as it is and it changes yeah. over time. I think the word I was going to use to kind of touch on, on that was, uh, I know I, I feel like it might be a loaded word, but there's a bit of a schizophrenic attitude to that in my, it, like I'm realizing that there's like, there's Julie Roxanne that's living the life that she has right now. And then there's a Julie Roxanne like inside my head. That's like, wanting all the other things that I don't have. And it's like, I'm having to walk these two paths at the same time. That is just really a, a fascinating way that the psyche finds to not actually be present. And uh, yeah, so working on that this year. You know, there's a kind of an interesting connection that we were kind of exploring the other day is, um, you know, around nature and our environment and the wild places, a sense I get, you know, part of the reason that um, I take people into wild places is because I, I hope that they will um, grow to love them mm -hmm. and have an appreciation because I think that's the, that's the, that's where activism and that's also where con conservatism and, and, you know, these things start. That's where stewardship starts mm -hmm. is we have, it has to, it first has to touch us. We have to, We have to love it and and experience it and then and then and care for it. And that can be, I think, particularly painful around nature and wilderness because we're losing it so fast and we've already lost it so much. Like if you go back and you read John Muir or you go back and you read any of the naturalists from the from a hundred years ago, and you if you read them very long, you realize how much we've already lost. Mm -hmm. That's just not there. Right, like the carrier pigeons and the the meadows on the way to the high Sierras that John Muir used to uh, wax poetic about, and a lot of the trees he was climbing, like they're not there anymore. They're gone. We don't even know. Our our imagination is that much more impoverished because we just don't we don't have these places that people used to marvel in. They've been they've been um, capitalized. Yeah, like they've been they've been they're gone. Yeah, they're forever, and they're, that's continuing to happen. Right, and. And I think so, I think at some level, most of us are aware that that's happening, and that's why we don't want to love love it. Because if we were to really, you know, the way I said it to you the other day is, I think the only way we can really, um, r really joyfully participate in nature, like take take joy in it, is also to experience the grief of it. The and it's the only way. To act, like that, we can actually also love it, and and because as soon as you start to ex really love it on that level or find the joy in it, you're going to you're going to find the grief yeah. with it as well. I think I'm I'm only in the last few days have really like there's some sort of dam that's opened inside of me that um, I just I realized how I had not let myself feel the grief at all. And so then what happens for me is that I ended up relating to the wild and to nature as an image, as something that I can see, but not something that I can really love. It's just, it's something that's beautiful aesthetically or that like evokes 
stirs up like the butterfly of of awe. But um, I I couldn't really allow myself to feel the awe until I felt the grief because it's like it's literally the same feeling, just different sides of it. And uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's like if you I, I've had this thought with you. It's like. Or, and I'm sure if you're listening, anyone you love, you can probably relate it to. It's like, if we truly love someone, there's probably, you have those moments where you realize that, like, that you're also going to lose that person. Yeah. Like, that you've made, you've exposed yourself to an incredible amount of pain, unless you die first, right? Which, But, like, but still, even if you die first, you're going to lose that person. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, that's a, that's a joint package. And sometimes, like, that's. See, it's there. There are two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. and and to the degree that we can take joy in this life and love it, is the degree I think that we can also feel the grief and the sorrow and the pain that we'll lose it. Yeah. And and I think this is one of the things. Part, I having thought about it for quite a while, I think this is one of the things around that that makes preserving nature so hard is that we just choose it's not worth it to feel the pain. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's too much. We look at the stories on the news, like about everything we're losing and all the, you know, like it's like, no, I don't want to tap into that. I'll just stay. I will stay disconnected from that to some degree because I I can't bear I can't bear the the loss. And that, I think of, that's, that's, that's a very on. I think that's actually a very um, normal reaction. And I do think that like. I feel like we don't have we don't have places collectively where we can go and say I feel so much grief for the earth I just want to ball for hours and like and be held and 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 recognize that I'm not the only one feeling this way and you know like the the sense of communion like we just don't have that and I, but the problem I think one of the things about this is that when when we make that deal we alienate ourselves we we don't we we at some level we've decided I I'm not I'm not going to belong to that yeah and then we don't like like we're we're alienated from it and I think this is a a poor a poor trade and I mean I think it makes life incredibly uh, two dimensional and and the way that I the the best the best kind of personal relation or like metaphor for it is like it feels like the difference of when how I was experiencing life when I was on synthetic birth control versus when I stopped it's like the depth of colors and the depth of ability to perceive reality like it's so many of us live such flat lives and that's not a comment on like the value of your life or 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 anything but it and 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 me included like this year i've had to like come back to a flatness of internal experience that was like painful and that made me what i was like what is happening why like this sucks so hard like this sucks so hard especially when you have experienced like the the depth and and i think a lot of us go through those cycles and i think that like grief is like a big key that we have forgotten and that I have forgotten. Yeah. And recently we've been kind of coming to the conclusion that because at near the end of the sabbatical, we've had a lot of grief come up and like, it's like, there's a lot of energy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, that's all that's, 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 um, that's in there. And we've been kind of talking as a family about how, we need to find ways, like regular ways that we can, like grief rituals, some, mm-hmm. some way to recognize the grief and yeah. some, some way to participate in that. Because the feeling we've both had lately is that like, whoa, this has been bottled up for a while. And like when it's bottled up, like energies go sideways, yeah. like I- instead of grieving and, and participating in that life-giving necessary process i think that energy can can get kind of confused or weird yeah. when it when it stays stays in and things can i think, think things can become kind of stale and also kind of uh nonsensical honestly when yeah. when it's when it's bottled up and realizing like oh shit like we we don't have any ways to to like really uh, facilitate grief mm-hmm. in our family. Like we haven't really ever thought of that yeah. as something like, and we, which means that 
in some sense, what we've been noticing is like, which means that you're, you've been living and feel, never feeling like there's a safe place to truly grieve because it's vulnerable and scary to like, yeah. to really get in touch with that and, and crack open, right. Or yeah. be, be cracked open. And for me, it means I, I think I, I have a hard time ever touching it. Like yeah. it, it, it always feels distant. And, and it's like, man, <laughs> as a culture, we are so few places to grieve. And I think, or, or so, so few people even showing us how to do it. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, that's why I'm excited to re- to be reading this book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, because it is part of the book is like introducing rituals because the guy has like focused his m- most of his life around like holding space for grief and, and grief rituals and stuff. And uh, but it's funny because what you've described that is happening in the microcosm of our family is I think what's happening at the grander level of our society. And it's where, also like, happening on the personal level. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that like I'm just reflecting on, you know, Men have a hard time accessing it, so there's like a, a bit of a shutting down that happens of like, well, I'm not going to go there. And then it's just like, as you described that, like layer of ice where you don't even know how to access it. And I think a lot of women just go through life either feeling crazy because no one is holding space for their grief or being physically sick, like endometriosis, PCOS, and like the womb holds a lot of our grief and and I think it's not a coincidence. There's so many pelvic issues for women. And then, and for, and, and I'm not, I'm like, you might even have the pelvic issues and feeling like you're crazy. You know, like this is like the, the, I feel like the women carry it in a special way. I, I think the men too, but I can only relate to that. To my- I also think about like, we, you know, with men particularly, but also just generally like one of the biggest killers in our, in our society is cardiovascular issues. And yeah. And what is one of the main forms of that? Heart attack. Yeah. Right? Like, um, it's like the heart diseases and heart problems are like yeah. number one problem, number one physical issue. Yeah. Or, or like or the heart is attacking. <laughs> yeah. Well, the heart is, is, or, well, I don't know if it's, it's attacking. The heart is in terrible pain. Yeah. And, and, and we don't like, yeah, I don't know. So I think I kind of actually, this is a good place to, discuss a little bit about what's coming up this year for us um i feel do you agree yeah Yeah. i think we're both recognizing that there's something here and i feel particularly called to do that especially because like the grief is so strong with right now for me and i think that we we feel a renewed sense of guardianship i was gonna say duty but that doesn't feel right um, to just like to continue to offer spaces of healing, which we already have been doing, but I think like we're feeling ready to take it into a different, a new format. Like some of the other formats are going to continue. Like we're going to still hold retreats with Wild Within and and programs and and spaces there. And I think that personally, we're we're feeling the call to. Um, open up to receive people for private healing retreats on the land that we live on. Um, This is like a perfect scenario with like the nature. And we've been like really thinking about like the menu of offerings that we have. It's kind of exciting to me to like be in a one-on-one relationship with someone and be like, okay, what's your intention? And what are the, uh, what are the practices or the things that can support you? Is it like solitude in the wilderness with someone like actually holding the space for you? Or is it like, like, or, you know, holding the space at a distance if it's solitude? Is it like plant medicine ceremonies? Is it combo ceremonies? Is it, I, I'm starting to have quite a deep relationship with like, er, like small herbs, like herbalism and having like kind of a, a library or a, an apothecary of tinctures and, you know, friends, allies from the natural world to help like loosen some of the things and then like quiet because here it's just, it's so quiet and there's so much spaciousness and it's like just the act of taking time out of your life. But then with incorporating things that might serve you and you know body work is like i'm i've been feeling more and more called to offer body work and so i feel like there's there's such a wide 
range of possibility and it just feels really exciting to do either very small groups maybe like maybe like couples that want to come and like mm -hmm. do this work or or one or like a, a single human that just wants to have their like personal solo retreat with a particular intention of healing and um we're starting to be we have people that have approached us for that and i think that's been like kind of the impetus for yeah we've got a couple that we're starting to like test run that with yeah um i'm excited about that too and i'm also personally feeling that i'm feeling the call for broadening my skills and mm -hmm. perspectives and fair amount of training this year yeah i think um, I, I'm hoping to, um, I should find out pretty soon, um, but I've applied, um, to train in a therapeutic, in a therapy called Hakomi, mm -hmm. which is a year long in-person training. And, uh, I think something that would be very complimentary to exactly what you're talking about yeah. is being able to, to offer, um, have some sort of therapeutic context that can call on and like in, for into for preparation and integration that would be really particularly powerful, yeah. Uh, yeah and also um the the kind of hakomi works on designing small experiments in a context of mindfulness with the client for them to explore their own conscious and um really find their own ways to heal mm -hmm. um so it's kind of like a guided journey into the unconscious and and, and helping and, and helping them explore that terrain, which I find really, really um, inspiring and, and interesting and supportive to a lot of the other work we do mm -hmm. um, uh, because it's self-resourced. Yeah. And also planning on going on a vision quest um, in the desert with uh, Bill Plotkin's organization, Animas. Um, and I, I've known for a long time that I think there's a lot there for me. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're definitely a broadening and deepening of our skill sets. I think yeah. you have some things on the horizon as well. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm, a lot of my year is going to be finding like mentors and guides. Um, I, I think uh, I kind of envision like the first half of the year having like a one-on-one -on -one guiding container to to be kind of held through this transition because it does feel like there's a big transition going on. And I just uh, reaching out to, to support. And um, in the second half of the year, I'm hoping to begin studying with um, a teacher that I've that I've respected for a long time and I I've wanted to be able to call my mentor uh, Rochelle Garcia Saliga who uh, runs in a tradition which is like a it's a nine-month online school program that really centers around um, bringing like the idea of like orienting to life and thriving life on earth through the lens of maternal health, which is like something that's been on my radar for a really long time that I actually think has colored a lot of my work so far and my perspectives. And I'm excited to take it deeper and and spend time, you know, like focusing on this, the transition from from maiden to mother or 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 from, you know, mother of one to mother of two, however, whatever the transition is, but like focusing on mothers. Um, and I think that's going to be beautiful both from a standpoint of my like my work with other human beings that I serve but also like my work with the earth and also my personal journey of like moving from from maiden to mother in the few in the next coming years in the few coming years so that's going to be it's going to be like a big piece we're also going to be spending time and energy to loving and working with the land that we live on um, which I think is like exciting to deepen our connection to our place that we dwell in yeah and i think the last the last thing that we wanted to maybe is it, it is the last thing i don't yeah. know if there's something i'm missing but the last thing is um in the last episode you might have heard us talk about how we're kind of pondering our relationship to this podcast and and not just our relationship but the 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 where is this podcast at? Um, and, you know, 200 episodes in, like what is coming up for us around this this beautiful project? And we've discussed a few different possibilities, but I think that we're currently, uh, we've agreed on, on a way forward for the time being, which is that we're going to switch to every other week. Yeah, um, we're going to so slow down the pace for a little while. Yeah. That feels fairly appropriate for where we're at. Yeah. Um, after four weeks of going weekly, Four years. Four, four, four years <laughs> of, going, of going weekly. 
Yeah, still not really sure. I think uh, going going forward this podcast, but I think what what I am sure of right now is that I want to go at a bit slower pace. And I think it's going to be nice to like kind of concentrate the juices instead of like try to dilute them to to make it weekly. We have a lot of things that we are continuing to talk about, and I think there's a real love for this podcast and this platform and and everyone who's listening and um it doesn't feel like it's the end yet or maybe i don't know it doesn't feel like it's the end but it feels like there's a there's a desire to slow down and kind of concentrate the juices so we'll be uh we'll be seeing you in two weeks thank you for listening Thank you, thank you. Thank you for being here. And uh, we hope 2023 is everything you need it to be and more. Yes, Happy New Year. Yes. There's a few ways you can support this podcast. The first is you can become a patron at uh, patreon.com slash thefaroutcouple. Yes. The second one is you can uh, buy some cacao. Uh, we have an affiliate link for cacao we love and drink and support on our show notes of the podcast. So if you're running short on cacao, or if you're curious, go there and buy some. Uh, you'll get a small discount, and we'll get a small kickback. Ayo. And uh, if you haven't done so already, please leave us a review. It's free, and it takes like two minutes, and it's actually a big deal, and it helps us be found through the algorithm. All right. I think that's it. That's it. We'll see you in two weeks. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.